1: Today's episode features guests, Peter Ponton, the CEO of Residio and contemporary artist Chemical X. Residio is a company working to create a sustainable and artist centric model for blockchain technology. Peter brings over 25 years of experience in launching, growing and serving high tech companies all over the world. His passion for supporting artists, musicians and filmmakers is matched only by his concern for the environment and its relationship to technology. He's been inspired to rethink what innovation means by integrating sustainable and environmental measures into the crypto world. Peter's impressive list of international clients and strategic partners includes Fortune 500 companies and high-tech industry leaders. Now, Chemical X. He is a British contemporary artist who keeps his true identity hidden. His work has never been exhibited in a gallery and does not appear on the secondary market but is regularly collected for prices in excess of $100,000. Within dance music, he's designed the Ministry of Sound logo and the Paul Olkenfold Perfecto logo nearly 30 years ago. Since then, he's developed art projects involving Banksy and Damien Hirst and was behind a Berlin Street installation involving. 100,000 ecstasy pills. His subject matter has covered the culture of ecstasy, the juxtaposition of the rich and poor in Los Angeles, and is currently developing work referencing the plight of refugees in the UK. More recently, Chemical X worked on the world's first Bitcoin NFTs in a collaboration with Fatboy Slim, Orbital, Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics, and Cara Delevingne. All right, welcome, guys. Excellent pedigrees.
2: Great to have
3: you guys. Sounds like you didn't know who Cara Delvaine was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: that sounds
0: about right. <laughs> you, you're busted for that one, brother. Cara, <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes. So, guys, look, we've been we've been looking forward to having you on, and we're, we're super excited. Let Let's start with this is number one. Like, tell us about this collaboration. How did it come together, and what's it all about?
4: Well, I'm going to start, and When you hear about that profile of Chemical X, you've got to say, how could you not want to work with this guy? So what it was all about was a collaboration, you know, that was all set out to raise money for good causes. So how can you not want to do that? So to work with great artists on something, you know, absolutely unique was just a tremendous opportunity, you know, from Residio's point of view. I think you better ask Chemical X why he did it.
3: So essentially, I knew fuck all about uh, NFTs when I started. So somebody approached me and said, oh, you know, this, I kind of did actually, I, you know, somebody else had been talking about the blockchain, wasn't so much about NFTs. About uh, two years ago in LA, I spent a long time out in LA and, and somebody had a really interesting idea, which, I, which I'll come to later on, and I st- still think it's very valid. Uh, but somebody came to me and said about, oh, you know, NFTs are blowing up. Essentially, you need to just just do something. You know, you're friends with uh, Fatboy Slim. You two should do something. And and explained to me what NFTs were. And I thought that this is a really interesting thing because there's a kind of journey between the Ministry of Sound. The Ministry of Sound is an interesting one because it's literally this year, it's 30 years since that logo was designed. But that was the last logo that I designed in the way that logos had been designed for decades, uh, using artwork, using all these ways that things have been done. And and the Oakham 4 one, the Perfecto logo was done six months later, and that was done on a computer. The Ministry of Sound logo is pretty much still one of the rarities in these things. It's it's pretty much still being used 30 years later. And the V&A Victorian Albert Museum in, in London uh, uh, want that piece of artwork because not only it, is it kind of iconic, to it, particularly in the UK, but it's because it represents the end of something. And weirdly, here we are 30 years later, and now where people are talking about, well, is it sure that's the end of original artwork? That's the end of something being original because now we've gone digital. And NFTs came along and that's what they represented. This, suddenly this opportunity came along to identify something as the original. For the creator to decide, this thing, this is what I consider to be the number one. This is what I consider to be the first. This is what I consider to be the original. And that can be done through technology. It can be identified as a thing. And kind of weirdly, even in the way that artwork or music is even made, often you're working on the same file, it's only the ease with which these things can be replicated that, that devalues them, but you still have the original. And then because it then becomes kind of assimilated into the digital world, it has no value as, it, as it's as original. And that's what really interested me. Firstly, was this ability to identify something. Secondly, what it meant in terms of being able to give value to digital and moving image. It's a, it's a weird place, but so essentially very long story short is that I got introduced by this, by somebody approaching me to do this, to Residio, And of course, me being a complete control freak, we ended up going, okay, we can't just go and take this. And we're also doing this in a completely different technology, which we'll also come to and swimming against the tide, which is absolutely up my street, essentially. Perfect. I'll stop talking because otherwise I'll be here talking for the next hour. <laughs> you do need to jump in and tell me to shut up. We're going to let you keep rolling, brother.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so for those that are listening, and you know, we'll share the links to the exhibit so they can check it out. There was originally inaugural five number ones. Can you sort of paint the picture of what they looked like, what inspired them?
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, essentially, the idea was that they The one thing that weren't going to be is a digital 3D image that slightly moves a little bit. I understand that when, and I really love the fact that all these digital artists who've been in the in space for a long time and 3D artists who've been in the space for a long time had never really been able to monetize their work very well as artists. And that's what NFT meant, and they were there. So those are the first people really to uh, capitalize on it. But for me, the, the value was it was taking... So as an artist, I have to tell my story in a single frame. You know, I have to tell whether it's, it's like telling a joke where you're also telling the punchline at the same time. So you have to, if you want to add in any narrative or layers of meaning, you've got to do it within the piece itself. And that's, that's the skill in itself. And that's, that's interesting. That's the one of the things that makes it, you know, a standalone thing and won't, means that it won't disappear. But uh, the idea that all these other Artists, all these other people working in the arts—the musicians and dancers and poems, and everybody else, all poets—all these people had, they had time. They had chronology. They were able to, you know, and so the best thing about a joke is its timing is about sending you one way and then giving you something else. And I love, for me as an artist, my work is a lot about juxtaposing something, you know, putting a uh, something, you know. So the stuff I did with the Skid Row Drive was about putting. um Homeless people's tents, but covering them in aspirational brands from Rodeo Drive. And it's a bit, I really like, yeah, I would see that Louis Vuitton, that Supreme Colab tent. I really want that, but it's actually, it's also a homeless person's tent in the middle of Skid Row. How do I feel about that? I love all of that. So the idea that you create something where you can start to tell stories. So I was very interested in as a, as a medium in the way that it kind of opened things up in art. And I wanted to do something that was, that, wasn't decorative in the way that a lot of art is, that it was powerful and engaging and meaningful, um, oh, and as well as entertaining and frivolous and fun. You know, all the things that art is that is not just a picture to look at. You want some emotive engagement with something. And so, really, I went, so I started off and I made the piece with, with uh, Fat Bo Slim, and that was really one where. He wrote a new, totally new piece of music and everyone's everybody's on at him about a new piece of music and that there is, there is the piece. Very kind of engaging, very ambiguous in terms of it has, having no particular lyrics. I loved all that. So we made it very simple. And then Dave Stewart and he had a piece, he really wanted he had a piece that he was really keen to do. So we did this and we told another story, a much bit longer, three minute kind of long one. And uh, Orbital kind of, uh, they wanted to t- t- do something that was kind of engaged around the idea of the way that TV idents kind of work and the way that they kind of uh, become, you know, you see these things, they're like, you know, like all these things where they're, you know, like a, it's almost like a jingle to a certain a visual jingles that get stuck in your mind. And, uh, and so we kind of did something around that. And then Kara was, uh, you know, when I spoke to Kara, I was saying about you really need to do something that is um, – very personal. All of these things were called number ones. The idea was, this is the brief to everybody was, this is number one. You have to say about what is number one. You have to break down what that means to you. Is it the most important thing? Is it the biggest thing? Is it the first thing? Is it, what is what is that? And everybody is going to have a different view of what that is. And that's, that's the thing about this is number one. The idea is it's an open, creative brief. It's almost an ice bucket challenge in so much that people people will come along and always have a different answer to it. It's not because art isn't like maths. It's not two plus two equals four. It's two plus two equals whatever is most attractive in that particular time and relevant to the person that's asking the question.
2: Yeah. I mean, the potential for what you've started here is unlimited. Yeah.
3: And that's exactly it. It's a space for people to share stories. I mean, it's so much like, for instance, one of the people that we're, that we're going to be doing stuff soon is somebody called Erica Lost. She is uh, not a real name. Uh, she is somebody that he's, who does TED talks has been fated around the world as somebody that's that's making pornography that isn't the mechanical male version of misogynistic kind of uh, wankfest. It is something that is tells stories, has real people, has real characters, a feature length. Is, it has a, a whole lot of women in the production. You know, it's grown up. It's addressing the fact that you know, it goes. Stuff like that goes beyond the idea of what is pornography. It goes into what is the way that women are seen and treated and about the patriarchy and everything else. And so, working with somebody like that and making and working with them to try to drill down into into making these particular number ones that, that I want to do, the people that I speak to, and the people it's like this is imagine the word that I would use is legacy. A piece of art is something that you put out and it's a statement that starts conversations. So think about what that is. You know, it's, not a just an, it's not a decorative thing. It's a, you have to really think about it.
2: If this isn't the edge of NFTs, I don't know what is, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Absolutely. we're
3: there you go. You know, I see the technology as the quickly moving duck's feet under the water. Nobody really worries about that. You want to see a swan gliding across a, a lake. You don't care about how it's doing. and at the moment, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of assumed knowledge. There's a reason that, you know, you, to a sense we're on the cusp. I want this is number one to be Apple coming along when, when everyone has been treated like Microsoft as the understood code. Apple came along, although they were using it from IBM, but they took, okay, here's a picture of a piece of paper. Here's a picture of a folder. I take it over here, drop it into that. I've moved that over there. I don't go... Save, cause all that you know, whatever, whatever, all the rest of the stuff they that assume thing, and 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 I think we need to make this whole industry seamlessly easy for everybody. And all the stuff, all the complicated stuff, nobody cares. I mean, everybody cares who does it, like all programmers do. They care about what's going on in the background, but to make something re- truly popular is to make it invisible. Indeed, yeah, I think we've uh, we've seen that time and again with the most successful, impactful
0: projects out there. But let's talk about what, what makes some of that actually happen, Peter. Like, what makes Residio and then uh, Stacks the the right technology to drive these kinds of collaborations and these kinds of projects?
4: I think the first thing is for me is you know my personal mission is to do what Chemical X was just talking about is to make the technology disappear. You know, and that's a, challenge. that's a challenge, that's always a challenge with emerging technology. It's a challenge with, you know, with this space that we're in at the moment where the technology sort of does end up being a, a barrier to entry and where we've got really where we're sort of still in a kind of very, very early adopter market. So where we want to be is in that place where anybody can be there, where the friction is gone, where the barriers to entry have been removed where people can just go and have a really amazing experience. So that's the first thing. Why Stacks? Well, we love the Stacks project. You know, we've been building on Stacks since before Stacks went mainstream, before Stacks went on the mainnet. It's been a challenge, it's been a journey, it's been a journey of, you know, passion and love. question that we kind of ask is, why Stacks? And I think the answer is that we say, because it's Bitcoin. And, you know, we chose the Stacks platform because it's secured on Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, in our view, is a stable, very, very secure long term store of value. The other thing is for us is that if you kind of look at the, the Stacks kind of uh, positioning of can't be evil, that can't be bad, right? So. That's something that we love and we look at it and go, you know what? You, you can't be evil. You know what? Well, you can't go there. Um, I think the other thing that's sort of really important for us and I think also important for Chemical X and the project that we're working on is to make sure that there are no additional energy demands in the, in the, in the creation of these NFTs. So in stacks, we're not, we're reusing the energy, and the security that's provided by Bitcoin. So we're creating low energy NFTs with no additional proof of work that's required. That's really, really important. So when we think about environment, you know, when we think about the environment, when we think about efficiency, when we think about sustainability, and when we think about, you know, all the kind of opportunities that these NFTs and this industry opens up. So it opens up, as you were saying earlier, it opens up Unlimited possibilities for charities, so that was really key for us, and it opens up huge opportunities for environmental work. So that's kind of um, you know that's where we are with this.
3: I would definitely say that is that the analogy that I, I and I am a terrible one for analogies. You'll probably find out as this thing goes on is that it's the way that I describe it is that we have we go into a instead of digging up gold and destroying the planet, we go into a bank vault, we take a, a dusty ingot that's from a dark vault, and we turn it into beautiful jewelry, and people wear it and appreciate it and engage with it. And we add value to it. And if we take some of that value, and we use that to, to invest in longer term solutions, sustainable solutions to environmental issues, then we're actually doing something good, you know, because you're not the idea of standing like King Canute and trying to you know, get, make the waves go back, uh, that recognition of, no, what we need to do is add as much utility to what exists, add as much more of a reason to have dug it out of the ground in the first place, give it, give it more utility, and understand about adding perceived value. in NFTs at the moment, and art in general, is always about perceived value. You don't buy a painting based on how much canvas and paint is involved.
2: So... We talk a lot about the glory, and obviously, this is an amazing collaboration. It'd be great to hear like one pain point or one lesson learned from this first process that you're not, you're never going to repeat again for the rest of your lives. <laughs> How many do you want?
3: Yeah, I'm going to say, well, just one. Just one of the most one.
4: Did we fall out over this project?
3: For me, is I kind of knew before I went in, I was, you know, I knew that I was. If I wanted to make a quick buck, if I wanted to make something really easy, I'd have done a totally different, done it a totally different way. uh, But I was totally into the idea of what Stacks is, about what the Web 3.0 is, about the open source, about, you know, can't be evil. I really love that idea. And Residio, none of us doing any of this at any point talked about money. It wasn't about, it was about doing this thing in a particular way. And, And to a certain extent that. Lovely blind thing of just let's just make it. And this is the thing that opened up to me was about how, obviously, ignorance is bliss for me was about how I wanted it to work and how it actually worked. And so, therefore, you kind of went back and went, "Oh, okay." A long time ago, I used to have a um, an agency. We used to do brand development and, and creative work, and we we moved from console gaming into mobile gaming. And this in the nineties when long before anything, you know, when it was, you kind of going, oh, actually what everybody needs. And what I realized then was what they need to do was get together and sell the concept of mobile games to people that they actually, when they're sat on a train somewhere else, you've got a game on your phone. It might be Snake. It might be whatever it is, but just play it. They weren't getting together to make people engage with it. And, I, and, and from my point of view, what I realized was, this is about onboarding. We need to take people outside. If this thing is ever going to work, it has to take people outside of the crypto world who know nothing about any of it. Create a seamless interaction with it. Find a way of giving them something away for free, so they end up with a wallet. Then you've got an install base.
1: Yeah, we and we've talked a lot about kind of now, sort of this transitional present we're in, right? And, and of course, we the problems we're addressing now to try to make things better. Now, like thinking a little bit further into the future, if we can even pretend to do that with with the topic of NFTs, we've discussed programmable NFTs, evolving NFTs, exploding time-bound NFTs, digital goods, lots of stuff like that on the show already. Anything you guys think that we or the general populace is missing about the future of NFT-powered art?
3: Yeah, no, actually, it was going back to what I was... My first introduction about blockchain art was a, a few years ago, and somebody was saying, and again, they weren't kind of getting it. They were talking about, yeah, this idea. Oh, yeah, you can, let's do, you know, the blockchain related art because what they love the idea about being able to own and that, about the, all the other stuff behind it. But the art itself didn't really matter. And then, oh, you can get a HDTV and just turn it into a thing, stick it on the wall. The issue that we've got at the moment, in the same way that, you know, I've been around for a long time, pre-internet, pre-digital photography, pre-people walking on the moon and colored television. Uh, so, so all of these things have come along and you kind of go, it has existed a long time to display digital art, right? That has that never been the issue. So now we've, we've created a way to give it value, but we still don't have a way to display it. I believe that digital art is going to have its own particular thing and NFT is going to have its own thing, but in, so the encroachment of actual art and the advantages of NFTs and digital art will come from... Screens, and this is what I've kind of been, and, and I'm speaking to a few different developers around this, but screens that use like electronic ink that don't, there's not high refresh rate, have no illumination. They look like a piece of art on the wall. They're not illuminated, they do nothing else. Switch off the light, that's it. But, and they use tiny amounts of power to the point where you spend a day charging up and it's, and it's charged up for a year, but it's connected and it changes. And it can change incrementally like the hands of a clock for over a day, over a time. So a piece of art that looks like it's, th- the sun rises in it. By the end of the day, the sun is setting a bowl of fruit rocks in real time. Uh, colors change, whatever it might be, something that is incremental and therefore able to be, you can live with it. You just don't need it. You know, art doesn't, isn't a distraction.
2: That's beautiful. I, you know, I got my girlfriend a Vladimir Kush piece for her birthday one year and it's an egg overlooking a skyline and as the day progresses it looks like a different scene and, and it's casting light in a very different way and the ability to sort of do that powerfully with interactive art is amazing imagine that it it
3: knows what the weather is outside because it's connected to uh, it's connected to the internet so it knows what weather is happening outside your house so it, when it's raining it's raining in the picture you know, that you can change it. You decide that you can change the color to, to match your room, that you can swap things out around there. The idea that a, that a frame is able to understand which picture it has in there, and then that NFT cannot be displayed anywhere else at the same time that it's being displayed within that frame.
2: Or what if it's connected to your brain waves through, you know, one of Elon's projects or your Apple Watch and evolves based on your your mood and your energy it makes you it helps the highs be higher and the lows sort of balance out yeah absolutely
3: absolutely i mean ultimately all that you know it it kind of works it feeds into what your texts and emails have been for the day understands it read the ai in there reads into what you're doing reads into what your mood is what might be a knows enough about you to be able to go here's a pretty sunny picture because i think you're feeling a bit down or here's a romantic picture, or here's just something cool and relaxing because you just need to chill. Whatever it is, that idea about something that can be interactive, but also you know, all the things about NFTs. You can sell it, you can own it, you can, you can adapt it. The artists themselves, the idea then that you've got this direct connection to art. So if Banksy wants to shred a picture, if Banksy wants to create a, um, a way of doing, writing uh, uh, smart contracts or ownership, that's the thing that makes it very interesting. I know that he's not, he's not into NFTs. <laughs> he's a grumpy bastard. He doesn't really like NFTs, but I don't think he's kind of necessarily just understands the potential. So I'm working on that.
0: Right on. Peter, I had one question. You know, For folks that are looking to launch projects, we've seen tons of opportunities through various organizations that support these platforms. Lots of money going into grants and access to funds to build things. And my understanding is uh, you were able to, to access and won a, a grant from Stacks. Could you talk about that a little bit for folks that are interested in launching projects, like what that process was like and, and how that helped you?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, there are so many grant programs out there. I think pretty much every, every blockchain has, uh, has probably got one. And the Stacks Foundation put one together. I think it started now about, oh, just over a year ago when that was all set up. And and we were actually one of the first companies to apply for a grant. The process was incredibly smooth, very, very easy. We'd done a lot of our own research. So by the time, you know, we put the grant application in, I think we were over ready, we were like super ready. And the grant application went in, they reviewed it, we got feedback, we got it approved, we were up and running in fact it was so good actually part of the process was the money hit the account within something like 24 hours so we were funded almost i mean i probably shouldn't be saying this but we were funded so so quickly which was amazing and there's accountability you know i mean it's, it's a really really great great process i think they've got it down we're kind of a little bit further along now and they've actually put together an accelerator program that's kind of now aligned with a fund. So investors are lining up, you know, so you've got projects that can get grants, you've got projects that can get funded, you've got projects that can actually go forward uh, with investors. So it's a pretty good uh, system. We love it.
0: That's great to hear. You know, we wanted to elevate that because there are a lot of folks that, that you know, they require resources to bring these projects together, team members, capital, relationships. So it's great if, if you're interested in doing something you know, from the ground up, there are some amazing grants out there. So,
3: yeah,
4: and the other thing, the other thing I would probably sort of add to that is that, like, again, probably like a lot of uh, organizations and and different different blockchains, there's an incredible ecosystem there. So you've got great community, you've got people with pretty much every kind of skill from all over the world, you know, and that's really something very very powerful that you can draw upon. So it's more than just money. You know, it's more than just, uh, you know, the technology, there's support, there's help, there's resources in terms of, you know, people, advisory. And also, if you don't have a team, you know, there's an environment that you can go and actually pull a team together. So, yeah, pretty amazing.
0: Well, thanks for filling us in on that. We really appreciate it. Well, guys, look, we'd love to get to, uh, to a little bit more of, uh, of who you are personally without exposing any identities, of course. We have this uh, segment called Edge Quick Hitters, where we have uh, a few fun and quirky questions, 10 total, to learn a little bit more about you. And uh, we're looking for like single or, or a few word responses. But uh, if we feel the urge, we can, we can expand. You guys want to jump in on that segment?
3: Uh, yeah, i listening to the bit with these very few words. <laughs> <laughs> I'll rein it in.
0: Much appreciated. Okay, well, we'll jump in. Peter, let's start with you. What was the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life?
4: That's a great question. The first thing I remember purchasing was probably sweets at the sweet shop. The first thing I really remember going home with was, uh, was when the Stones released *Beggars Banquet. And I went home and I just played it. That was, a, was an incredible album. It looked really good. and Getting it on the record player, that was an amazing experience.
1: Beautiful. There's just something about listening to albums for your own kind of first time, you know? It's, it's a whole other world. Chemical likes, how about you?
3: Mine was also weirdly, when he was, funnily enough, he was talking about Sweet and he was talking about records. My first thing that I remember was a record by Sweet, Blockbuster. Remember Blockbuster? Well, so the Sweet, so like forty-five record. Uh, before I even get to, could afford to buy a, a, any kind of album. But uh, yeah, the Sweet Blockbuster. You probably, I think they, I think in America they use it for something. They used to use it for, for something. It became quite famous. Maybe on was it Blockbuster? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah, cool. everybody get it on Spotify. You'll find it.
0: We'll be on it for sure. Uh, so come What was the first thing you remember ever selling in your life?
3: weirdly my mother eventually became a farmer but before we ever did we were living in just a house with a garden and uh, and they bought a they used to buy lambs like orphan lambs and we'd have to raise them and then we'd have to sell them down to the market and you kind of go oh that's like my pet but then you went but we got to keep the money and you went oh i quite like money too <laughs> First
0: live animal that's made it into these questions, I think, so far, guys. That's awesome. Uh, Peter, how about you?
4: Oh, dear. That's a dangerous question. I would say, apart from sweets or cigarettes, selling them at school, probably a little bit harder stuff. I lived in the Middle East, and I got in a lot of trouble for what I was selling. Well, let's leave it at that.
0: Noted. (laughs) We'll move on then. Question (laughs) three, Peter. Uh, What is the most recent thing you purchased?
4: Wow. I've not purchased anything much recently since lockdown, mostly presents actually for family. So I would say, yeah, not for myself. Yeah. Family.
0: That's nice. Chemical X, how about you?
3: Uh, a chicken, but this time it was dead. <laughs> 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 Got it. What is the,
0: uh, what's the most recent thing you sold, Chemical X?
3: Uh, weirdly, it was an NFT with dead mouse on... Foundation, and it was a horrible experience.
0: A <laughs> <laughs> live animal involved, or not so live animal, actually. Uh, got it, Peter. How about you on that one?
4: Well, what I remember selling was I remember selling all my office furniture when we went virtual just before lockdown. So I was like, "Good, let's get rid of all this stuff."
0: Smart. Okay, question five, Peter. What is your most prized possession?
4: Easy, my company. Resilio.
3: It's got the power to do something really good. So I love that.
0: Right on. Chemical X, how about you? Most prized possession?
3: I don't really like possessions. I don't really like the concept of possession. I don't really own anything. I don't put any value into things. I put them into people and experiences. Right on. Well,
0: let me ask you this then, question six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service that's currently for sale, what would that be?
3: um nothing i thought about that question and all the things that i really want money can't buy and there was a and i know it's supposed to be a one question answer <laughs> you're good Go but you know how difficult this is for me you're doing great but there is a philosophy that's weirdly based in the bible and somebody that doesn't believe in god that's uh but there was a the idea that whether where. Jesus was, was trying to be called out about, uh, he was popular, and they were uh, the Pharisees were saying, oh, let's get him uh, uh, let's get him on um, on taxes. If he says we should pay taxes, there are people to be against it. If he says uh, that we shouldn't, then we'll get him for treason. And they said, uh, or oh, should we pay taxes? And he says, somebody give me a coin. And he picks up a coin, and he says, whose head do you see on this coin? He says, Caesar He says, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay to God what's God's. And the lesson from that is money Creates and resolves its own problems and everything else outside of that. So, the idea about buying something is I don't know, if you want, buy, I, I, I'd spend money on experience, but uh, not a thing.
2: What would be the experience that, that you would love to spend money on? Uh,
3: in the end, money creates freedom, and freedom is the thing. I think the idea about not having to worry about how to. Put a roof over your head, feed your kids, do pay your taxes, do everything else. The idea of just being open to be able to do whatever you want to do and follow your creative dreams or ideas or crazy shit, whatever it is, I think that will be it. That's freedom. That thing where you see people wasting all the time.
0: Freedom. Peter, how about you?
4: Well, my daughter is doing a master's in sustainability at the moment, and she's doing her dissertation on. Forest gardens. So, at the moment, if I was going to buy anything, I would buy a really, really beautiful piece of land that she could make a forest garden in. I was kind of reading the the story this morning about Mandy Lewis, it who bought Emhurst Park in Hampshire to turn it into a rewilding project. The guys from Brewdog—they're buying land for rewilding. I think that's a pretty cool project. So that's on my list. Apart from that, probably a large piece of the Amazon and save it. That'd be pretty cool too.
0: I love it. Great ideas. Uh, of course, Ethan's uh, in uh, one of the augmented worlds right now, buying up the, uh, the augmented version of those locations. So, <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah.
0: <laughs> Peter, question seven. If you could pass on one personality trait of yours to the next generation, what would that be?
4: Positivity. Seeing the glasses always half full. Yeah.
0: Very nice. Chemical X, how about you?
3: Well, I have uh, four boys, ranging from one's coming up to 33, the youngest one's coming up to 19. And I see that I have passed on creativity. One's a DJ, techno DJ in Berlin. Other two are game designers. The other one's a fashion designer. So I think that's already happened.
1: Nice. Mission accomplished.
2: Happy belated Father's Day to you and Jeff and Ethan. Peter, how about you? Three
3: daughters, thank you. Oh, I've got boys. I was looking at, uh, Dave Stewart sent me some pictures from uh, from, what his, uh, from his Bahamian island where his daughters set out this whole thing. And I was going, yeah, great. Okay, daughters are really good at Father's Day, but at least my sons won't come home pregnant.
0: <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah. 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 Chemical X, uh, question eight. If you could eliminate one personality trait of yours from the next generation, what would that be?
3: Weirdly, I've already done that. I've already spent my life getting examining stuff that I do and the way that I do things and, and, uh, and whether I could do things better and hopefully make myself a better person or doing the right things. I'm happy with the person that I am and the, uh, and the reason why I do things. I'm not looking to fix myself. And so therefore, I don't think I've got anything that I haven't passed on that isn't positive to my kids. Right on. Peter, how about you?
4: Well, I thought about impatience, you know, but I think the impatience is, is justified. So I'm not sure. Urgency. Yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if nice, that's a, <laughs> <way of saying. laughs> that's a better way of saying That's a better way of saying Indeed.
0: Yeah, it's a struggle for everyone, isn't it? Peter, question nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast?
4: Well, immediately before, I had an interview for someone to join our HR team. And immediately before that, we had our end of day, which we have pretty much every day at the end of the day. When it gets to five o'clock, we have a 15 minute catch up with everybody from all over the world, providing they're on that sort of time zone. We have people from uh, West Coast, East Coast, all over Europe, Africa, Morocco. I mean, Middle East, India. They try to hook up at five o'clock for 10 minutes and just do a, a very, very quick, recap what kind of day did you have and then they pass the ball and yeah it's a great way to finish the day
3: nice chemical x how about you well obviously i think we all do that but uh yeah <laughs> <I>, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no actually what i what i did weirdly was i cooked uh, i cooked lunch for fat boy slim in his house in the woods which is where i'm staying at the moment so I, then i left him And then, oh, shit, I've got a podcast to do.
0: (laughs) Right on. Well, what are you going to do next after the podcast?
3: I'm going to digest that dinner that I've just eaten.
0: Good next step. I love it. Peter, how about you?
3: I'm going to start
4: preparing for tomorrow. Plus, I've got a bunch of financials to do for my accountant, unfortunately.
3: I have just remembered there is a slightly more interesting answer. I'm possibly going to watch everybody else in the house dance around naked outside because it's uh, the solstice and they seem to be dressing themselves up in leaves yeah that sounds funny (laughs) i'll try and film it and i'll share it with you great two (laughs) two of my daughters are at
4: solstice parties right now so yeah
3: let's hope they're not naked
0: (laughs) i guess we will see guys thanks so much that was edge quick hitters lots of fun appreciate the honest answers um great to get to know you a little bit
1: better ethan um what do you say we jump into a couple hot topics yeah, let's hit some of the hot topics of the day, see what we got to say about those. Okay, first headline, non-fungible tokens and the metaverse are digital fashions next frontiers. Yeah, we've, we've kind of covered this a little bit on our show. We had Emma Jane McKinnon Lee from Digitalics, And uh, it does seem to be a burgeoning, burgeoning place to be. Uh, Peter, Chemical X, have you, have you seen anything specific in this realm that you're fascinated with?
3: So certainly, for me, I think the stuff that isn't based you know, an extension of collectibles. So the, you know, sneaker stuff is still collectibles, all that kind of stuff. What was really interesting, I think, is the idea about being able to connect an NFT to a physical garment, and that that will, particularly in the higher end, you know, luxury brands, the ability to be able to know what is, you know, the counterfeit stuff, the devaluing of that, how much that costs everybody, including the people that are buying the, the genuine stuff. I think the idea that if you can have a, a garment that has some sort of identification, that you can go and see who was the last owner. And if that isn't the person you're buying it off, then you're buying a fake. That, I think, all that, you know, NFTs as a security is really, it's longer term, you know, uh, value.
1: Well, that makes sense. Peter, did you have any experiences or thoughts?
3: I think it's more increasingly you know
4: this kind of whole idea of having a digital twin so i think this is the whole the whole point and uh that's that's just going to be the the again the opportunities for that are just incredible you know so being able to tie you know what you're what you're doing in the physical world with what you're doing in a virtual world makes it complete so yeah we're looking at all those kind of areas right now
2: there's a interesting trend there around creating something, burning it, sort of Burning Man style, and then only the uh, digital version exists, I think in the spirit of this conversation, it'd be nice if people think of ways to recycle some of these objects as opposed to burning them or or doing that burning process in a sustainable way. Yeah.
1: Capture the carbon. (laughs) Interesting little piece from that article too, uh, that I don't know that we found out yet that Zed Run is partnering with Atari. Did you guys hear about that? I did. I hadn't heard about the Atari.
2: Yeah,
4: yeah.
1: Yeah, that's in the same article. Very
0: we interesting. We tried to
2: get one of those horses, guys, last week, but they're so overwhelmed. Everyone wants a digital horse to race. I really like the idea of the horses. I, I, I like the idea of,
3: you know, a, a few years ago, we had, we, we obviously, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Grand National, but there's a big race in the UK, horse race called the Grand National. And they ran it, I can't remember why they couldn't do it, but they ran it as a virtual race, you know, which is amazing. It's like the biggest, it's the one where all the people that don't bet on horses bet on horses and ran this, this virtual race. And the idea of, okay, well, actually, what I really like about that is when they don't make it over the fence, nobody shoots the fuckers.
2: Right, yeah. We'll have to talk to you more about this, but we just did an interview with Seth Goldstein from, from Bright Moments and they're, they have a NFT gallery in, in Venice, California with a DAO attached to it. And they're really about sort of juxtaposing everything they do to celebrate all forms of art and music. So on some days, they're going to have some high-end artists like Jeff Davis is launching on Thursday. Other days, they're just going to all hang out with their virtual cigars and, and bet on horses. So I think that we're really... Uh, are really pushing the boundaries of, of what that experience is around sort of art and music and, and entertainment.
3: I have um, a guy I know who uh, just bought a, an ex-official nuclear bunker in the UK. and But this guy runs a company that, run, that makes all the digital outdoor screens, advertising screens in the UK and a lot across um europe and some in america and they kind of do all the football ones right around football grounds all the ones that all over the place he's a multi-millionaire so he's bought this thing but he's quite interested in the idea but and i was saying look this is such a great opportunity to create a proper digital art gallery that isn't just where all the walls are, are all the walls are screens the idea that everywhere you go is a screen so the all the things you can play with in terms of people's perspective, the way that people think about stuff as well as just hanging stuff in there, as well as creating AR and VR and AI and all that. Imagine every, all the stuff is, is digital and people, you watch somebody creating a, sculpting something in, in VR in there, that isn't there, but you also want to go, and wouldn't it be a great place for people to store their NFTs in a nuclear bunker? So I think that's definitely a thing.
1: Indeed. Let's take it to the next hot topic. We want to, we're going to go back to the, um, our thoughts about things we purchased when we were young. Mattel has speeds into the NFT world with Hot Wheels digital collection. Uh, this is uh, interesting. We've definitely seen brands that are jumping into NFTs pretty rapidly. Uh, of course, NBA and Tops and, and things like that. And we've seen the Garbage Bail Kids. I don't know if that was a, a, official through the makers of those or, or how that was created, but but yeah, we've got uh, Hot Wheels now with their digital collection. What do we think about this?
3: That makes perfect sense. I mean, it's, a, it's obviously, it's a perfect fit for them because, you know, people that collect Hot Wheels, buy them, keep them in the boxes. And, and this is kind of the collector element that isn't the, the art bit, the people that, just, that, that want a thing and they want it and they'll put it away and they won't play with it and they like to own it and they want to have all of everything and that collector thing. You know, and, and Hot Wheels have, have always been part of that. So it's, that's like saying, imagine Panini stickers getting into NFTs.
2: Peter, what do you think? Would you collaborate with a nostalgic brand, maybe do something for social good? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, absolutely.
4: Yeah, we'd do that in a heartbeat. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at the, this is number one project, every one of the artists was um, aligned with a with a charity or with a, with an environmental initiative. So that's kind of baked into pretty much everything that we do. So I would say, yeah, definitely. All the projects that we're doing are,
3: are along those lines. But we don't like to talk about it. We give a lot to charity if we don't like to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't know. I look at it, it's all signals that this is, this, the train has left the station on, on NFTs and what's, what's possible is uh, you know, so much more than what we're seeing right now.
3: That's definitely the thing in terms of everybody as somebody that's come into it very particularly and certainly from a, one particular angle is that is that the first thing you see is like, oh this isn't what it is this is what it is now, but this is fundamental bigger change in terms of in terms of what the technology is and it, and we see it all the time we're still waiting for the particular you know, in the same way that the smartphone particularly the app you know, the iPhone came along and changed the way that we did everything and when that that only happen on top of social media that can only happen on top of the internet we're waiting for the next thing that integrates vr and ar into our everyday lives and once we start to do that then we start to live digital lives then all this ownership of these digital assets become a real thing because we start to exist in a kind of hybrid world but we're not there yet and yes everybody all these early adopters are around there and this is where it's going to happen but it's something else that's going to come along and actually kind of push that thing through. It's some unknown technology that we don't know, but a pair of glasses or whatever it is. Indeed.
0: Yeah. And we're looking forward to it. And we hope to uh, have talked about it here and talk about it when it comes and and be part of the journey. So guys, we really appreciate your perspectives on these things. It's really been amazing hearing from you and hearing about your projects and, and your insights and a little bit more about you personally where can folks go to learn more about you and follow what you're working on?
4: Well, the obvious one is come to the website, go to the blogs, go to Instagram, follow us on Twitter, all the usual.
0: What uh, handle should they uh, look for you, Peter?
4: I think, uh, well, residio.com and then this is number one.com.
3: And for me, I kind of, as, for me as an artist, I have chemicalx.co.uk. And if, People actually want to know what I'm thinking uh, on a rare occasion that I share it is, uh, is on uh, Instagram, which is chemical X lamb. Some underscores involved there as well, but I won't bother explaining them.
0: (laughs) We'll be able to track you down for sure.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's one with a pill on it, essentially.
0: (laughs) Very nice. So again, thanks so much guys for your time. We really appreciate it Uh, for our audience. Be sure to tune in next week as well for our guest, Jonas Seaforth from, Boson Protocol. And also a quick shout out to St. Motel for supporting us with our new intro music for the podcast. Thanks to AJ Jackson and the whole crew. Let us know what you think when you guys hear it, guys. Also, we've reached the outer limits at the edge of NFT for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey oh so much better. How go to iTunes right now and rate us, say something cool, and then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further
3: down the rabbit hole. Amazing time, folks. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Thank you.